You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Hello, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and I've got a very intriguing show. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. I had the honor and privilege of meeting Dr. Jerry Punch this past fall at a dinner. And, uh, you know, normally we don't think of car racing and medicine and then also college football, <laughs> kind of all in the same career. But for Dr. Jerry Punch, he's made careers out of all of that. Uh, from NASCAR and foot, college football with ESPN to being an emergency room physician. Uh, his two careers have collided on more than one occasion. I want to talk a little bit about that today. So I'm excited to welcome him to the show. Dr. Jerry grew up in North Carolina. He received his medical degree from Wake Forest School of Medicine of Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. And he went on to serve as an emergency room trauma doctor. Uh, but when Dr. Punch was given the opportunity to return to his NASCAR roots uh, on weekends, he would do ESPN broadcasts on weekends, see patients during the week. After 30 years of broadcasting and over four decades in the metal f- medical field, he has some great stories and great experiences. Good morning, Dr. Jerry. It's great to have you. Hey, good morning. Good to be with you here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So grow, you grew up in North Carolina, and you grew up racing stock cars, right? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Hickory, right outside of Hickory, uh, and uh, Newton, actually. Uh, and uh, my grandfather had a farm, which was, as a crow flies, probably half a mile from uh, a local short track, Hickory Speedway. So uh, we'd be working on the farm in the afternoons and evenings, and... Uh, I, when I was a kid, you know, it, in, it, I would, uh, uh, we would go, uh, go work after school or after practice and you could hear the cars testing at Hickory Speedway. You could hear the engines running and the motors running as they were running laps over there. So then my grandfather, uh, and others in the ch- local churches, the deacons of the local churches in the, in the valley, uh, had been hired by the promoter at the track to be gate guards. They figured, okay, if we're going to, he went to, he was smart. He went to the churches and said, Hey, you know, if you'll, if you guys will come and guard our gates for us, cause I know you're honest because you're deacons in the church and I'll donate monies back to your individual churches, uh, for your, for your willingness to be here. Now we'll pay you obviously. Uh, but that way, and the, and so my grandfather would go there every Saturday night and I saw some of the legends, uh, the Ralph Earnhardt's and the Lee Petty's early in their career and uh, the Junior Johnson's, all those guys race, uh, when it was dirt. And then they made, then they paved it to asphalt. But my grandmother and I would sit on the top level. It's just a concrete bench seat up there, just like Bristol used to be years ago. And we watched all these races and, and, uh, and then I grew up in it. So, uh, and you ran against some of the greatest race car drivers, yeah. right? In, in history. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and that's, and that's true because in our little hometown, I, I tell everybody in our hometown, we had, we had Friday night lights. We had high school football. 
and we had Saturday Night Lights, which was local short track stock car racing. So a lot of us did the, did both. You know, we'd practice all during the week, and then and then after school, and then we'd come home to our homework, and then we'd zip out to a barn or a building behind my house or someone's house and work on a stock car. And whoever had enough money to race that weekend or the car was ready, we'd all go help them as a volunteer pit crew. And then some weekends we all race. So that's how I got to know uh, Dale Earnhardt senior because he like most of us uh, would run those short tracks and we none of us had a had a dime and you know in our pocket we we had torn jeans and bushy mustaches <laughs> and hair and and uh but you know and, and the difference is is that he <clears throat> that he quit school in the seventh grade to focus on on his racing because he wanted to really focus full-time on that and i was blessed to be able to uh, go on to college and into med school and you of course sports was in your blood right so you grew up you were playing football yeah. And you walked on at North Carolina State? Right. I was, I, I walked on. I probably should have, if I wanted to play college football, I probably should have gone to a, I had a chance to go to some smaller schools. Back then they called them one double A schools. But my brother, my older brother, I only have one sibling and he's five years older. Uh, to the day he was, uh, we have the exact same birthday, August 20th. Uh, my mom was actually, uh, I'm a Leo. Yeah. Oh, are you? Good. I am. Yeah, yes, I, sir. Uh, you know, my mom was baking his birthday cake and went into labor and, you know, and had me. Uh, so, uh, his, my brother's big joke was that, you know, he, for his fifth birthday, he wanted a bicycle and he got a brother. Uh, but the, uh, my brother was, uh, was an all American baseball player, uh, in, at NC State. Took, and he was a part of the first team ever to go to the College World Series. Uh, so it was natural for me years, five years later to follow that progression to NC State and uh walked on as a football player and a baseball player when i walked on as a pitcher but um and then a football player down there was a quarterback an option quarterback and a guy by the name of lou holtz lou holtz him he was the head coach um wonderful uh frightening intimidating because you had to do everything uh the right way you had to you had to academically etc etc but uh, i did walk on and it was fun it was enjoyable i was never a factor i got to watch a lot of good football and i got to get to be friends and i got to understand the importance of of, the difficulty of playing at that level which helped me later on when i started broadcasting and then coach holtz came to espn and and uh i got to work uh with him and being around him more and he was such a so gracious you know he said he remembered me but obviously when you're a walk on you're just there on the scout team getting pounded every day he probably only remembered them picking me up every play <laughs> that's probably right so Hat, when you went to nc state i mean you ended up going to medical school so when you first went to college were you thinking medicine or or, or how did you get into the medical into that well, focus in our little hometown i tell it's ironic last week i found i met an individual uh who was the uh uh, uh the son-in-law of this there was one primary care physician in our town a doctor senate and he had a little office downtown on the square it was one of these white picket fence houses and with the porch all the way around it everyone sat on the porch that was the waiting room and in the winter time you sat in the living room and uh, he took care of you but he made he made uh he made you know house visits you know he made house calls uh, he was the guy, and so and, and growing up in that town, and and I had croup when I was like five or six years old, and I couldn't breathe. He came to our house in the middle of the night, put me in a tub on the back porch to, to break my fever. And from that point on, I said, I want to be a doctor. I want to be just a, 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 a country GP, taking care of people like Doc Senate. Everybody loved Doctor Senate, and not everybody could pay him, but they'd bring him bags of of tomatoes and cucumbers. And if you know me, you know I love tomatoes and cucumbers. So so uh, here I go to uh, so I did when I went to NC State. They didn't have a pre-med curriculum, but they had 
a lot of biology, life sciences, zoology, chemistry. And I loved, I was one of those kids that loved math and loved chemistry and growing up. And so I was probably one of the few football players that was taken that it was majoring in chemistry and math. Um, but, uh, I, and I, that's what I did. And I went to, and then, um, the, um, applied to a med school. I really wasn't going to, I wanted to go to med school, but at the end of co- college, uh, my advisor, I told my advisor, look, my mom and dad, my mom's been sick. My dad's working two jobs. I really don't have, I, there's no way I can spend four more years in med school within three or four years in residency because my mom and dad need help right now. So I'm just going to bow out and do the pharmacy route because I could spend one more year and go into pharmacy school and go out and be a pharmacist and I could make money and help my my family. But my advisor re- refused to let me do that. And and uh, and he said, you know, you and I are going to, I'll never forget, he was a big, giant, soft-spoken man. Remind me a little bit of a Ronald Reagan kind of guy, you know. He had, he had that special, you know, charisma and he said, hey, he he jokingly called me Mountain Boy, and he said, Mountain Boy, we're gonna you and I are going to walk arm in arm down Hillsborough Street from bank to bank till you have enough money to go to med school because you're going to medical school. Um, and I said, well, Dr. Harkema, what can I do for you? He said, well, he said, when, when you graduate from medical school, here's what you do. You bring me a jar of that stuff you guys make up in the mountains, and uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, call it, we'll call it even. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, okay, so medical school, obviously you – Grew up in in the racing world. Football obviously was a huge in, emphasis. But then once you get out of medical school, right. you, you went into emergency room medicine, right. right? Right. So how did you get called into broadcasting at that point? Well, I um, because I love sports, because I love auto racing so much, um, and I will. Um, uh, I mean, I should probably back up and tell you the first time I, you know, when I went to med school. Uh, the car that I was driving, the late model car, back then there was the early, it was called late model sportsman, which, which, which a couple of years later became the Bush series and now the Xfinity series for NASCAR. So, um, uh, we, we, uh, my, well, we called him uncle. My uncle, uh, was Bobby Isaac, the NASCAR champion. And, and he really wasn't related to us because, um, he, but he, he had been adopted into the family, but so he was, uh, everybody called him Uncle Bobby, but he, I, I got to be around him a little, a little bit and he ran a car that my, my other uncle owned and then, and then they bought a car for me to race. So long story short, when I went to med school, we loaned the car I was driving to another cup series kind of driver who took it to Charlotte, uh, and flipped it, rolled it end over end and, and destroyed it. His name, and, um, so probably the best thing that happened to me because I had to focus totally on medical school. The local promoter at Hickory Speedway said, Hey, look, you know, you love the sport. I know you're in med school. You have very limited time, but I also know the med schools tell you that because of the pressure and stress of the mental uh, on your mental health of, of being, you know, in med school, you're supposed to take a couple hours a weekend off. How about you come up here and sit beside me in the tower, and you you run the electronics and do some digital scoring. You're a math guy. You could do all this stuff in your head. He said, and I'll announce the race. That guy, that promoter at Hickory Speedway, his name was Ned Jarrett, and so <laughs> Ned was like a second father to me. Here he is, two-time NASCAR champion, Hall of Famer now. And so I go up there, uh, and I'm doing that on Saturday nights when I could get away from because it was an hour from Winston-Salem from Wake Forest up to Hickory. And I'd go up there, and I'd get paid like $35 and and uh, sit there beside Ned. Well, one night, Ned, had, Ned was being inducted into the National Motorsports Press Hall of Fame in Darlington, and he was going to be gone. We knew we had a huge crowd coming, big ladies' night crowd, all these special drivers coming in. It was going to be a packed house, and he had hired Barney Hall, uh, uh, the legendary radio announcer to come in and sub. I get there to sit in the tower beside Ned, and there's nobody in the chair. Barney forgot. Barney and Ned actually walked into the NMPA 
uh, induction in Darlington and saw Barney standing at the podium and realized we were in trouble. He calls the track and talks to his wife, Martha. And Martha talk, calls her young son, Dale, who sort of helps run the end. Dale was a teenager back then. Dale Jarrett and I were buddies. He's not that much younger than I was. He comes running up to the tower and says, hey, we got no announcer tonight. You, you, you sit beside that every weekend. You've, you got to do it. You, you got to do it. And I, and so out of necessity and desperation, they handed me the microphone. I did the show. Ned gets back the next day and apparently got some positive feedback. And the next thing you know, he recommends me to, you know, to NASCAR's radio network nationally. So I start working with Ned and NASCAR on MRN. And then, and then the MRN executives, NASCAR executives in Daytona started recommending me to television. Isn't that something how, how our paths get directed in, in strange ways? Um, being a medical doctor and in stock car racing, of course, stock car racing, very dangerous thing. So I imagine you're, that those, worlds collided quite a bit so when we come back we're going to have more with dr jerry punch you're listening to news talk 98.7 woki welcome back to news talk 98.7's brogan financial studios where jim brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement get ready to learn and live here's your host jim brogan welcome back this is more living here on news talk 98.7 woki I'm your host, Jim Brogan. We're visiting this weekend with Dr. Jerry Punch, who blended the worlds of NASCAR racing and medicine and college football and even some college basketball as well. So very, very fascinating life story. And uh, so let, let, let's just kind of look at when you were doing both of those things. So you were at an emergency room in Daytona, Florida, I believe. Yeah, just, uh, uh, yeah, just north of Daytona, right. I lived in Daytona. So you were practicing during the week and then on weekends you'd go call NASCAR. Right, right. I would, uh, I was an ER physician. I actually worked in the ER myself and I was the ER director. Uh, so I had a staff of physicians that worked with me and, and, uh, I would be called by other groups in the area. Uh, there were large emergency room companies around the country that were not based in Florida, but they would call me. And I don't know how this got happened, but I ended up being sort of, for the one of a better term, a troubleshooter. And I would have people, you know, manning my ER, but I would go to South Florida, uh, to Miami or Orlando or Tampa, whatever. And I would work in big hospitals that have had issues with, uh, with their ER docs. And, and they didn't know that's why I was there. I would just go there to work to see if they were clinically competent or if they were just person, you know, personality challenge or whatever, because they were having a lot of complaints. So that, so that led me to when these hospitals said, Hey, you come in here and things seem to seem to calm down a little bit. Why don't you take our contract? And I said, I wouldn't be ethical. I couldn't do that. I'm coming here to help you on behalf of this company or that company. But that led me to start my own little, little group and just North of Daytona. So that's what I did. And if you're an ER doctor, you don't have, you don't have office hours. You're there and you work specific hours and you leave. Well, uh, that's why I was able to travel on weekends. And quite honestly, quite honestly, the first ever call I got was a guy named Ken Squire, legendary announcer for CBS. And Ken calls me and uh, says, hey, uh, it was 1983. And he says, we're going to call the ER and uh, and ask to speak to me. And they, they came to him and said, there's a guy named Ken Squire. says he knows you. I said, Ken Squire, the CBS announcer? Well, anyway, he says, we're going to do this race in Atlanta on television for TBS. Uh, he said, I know you work for MRN, and the MRN people say you, you're you the guy we should, we should grab to start doing television. He said, and this is a true story because Ken has told it, told it many times at different shows around the country. He said, I asked Dr. Punch, I said, Hey, how much live television have you done? I mean, I'm in the ER in my scrubs and, and a white jacket. Yeah. People. So I run over to the, to the nurse's desk. They put the call through and I said, Hey, Ken, 
I have none. He said, how much live TV have you done? I said, none. He said, how much tape delay TV have you done? Because the race is next weekend in Atlanta. It's live on TBS. And I said, um, none. He said, well, have you ever gone to a studio and voiced something over like on a screen, watch, watch the laps and voiced it over? And I said, I don't think so. He said, how about this, Doc? He said, have you ever gotten out of the shower, gotten out of the shower and take a, took a hairbrush and turned it upside down and stood in front of the mirror and pretended you were an announcer? I said, no, nah, I don't think so, Ken. And so there's a long pause. I expect him to hang up. Yeah. He said, hey, Doc. He said, Doc P here, work with me. He said, do you own a television? And I said, I've got three of them. He said, you're hired. Oh my goodness. He's just I, looking for any reason. Yeah. yeah. And so I ended up being in Atlanta. So, uh, and it, and it was a blessing. <laughs> well, to talk about that pace. Like how long did you maintain running a ER practice during the week and then doing NASCAR events on weekends? Well, I mean, it's interesting because, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, 12, 14 years. Um, and it would really be wearing it. I mean, I'll I, bet. I, and then I made the mistake because I'm not really politically inclined, but I made the mistake of, uh, the medical staff at our hospital voted me as chief of staff because they felt like, for whatever reason, I, I was a, a problem solver and we were getting ready to go through joint commission reaccreditation and blah, blah. So I, and I would, I didn't mind sitting in the committees and trying to help. So here I am. I remember I was in, I was at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego one night, uh, back before we had cell phones that really worked that well. And it's about a minute to halftime of the game I'm doing. It's a Thursday night primetime game with myself and, and um, uh, Ron Franklin and and, uh, and Mike pa- and Mike Godfrey, and it's half about half time, and my beeper goes off, and it's the hospital, the director of nursing calling me from the hospital in Florida. I need to speak to you right away. So I go in, and half time I go in a locker room. I go into Chargers locker room, and they let me use the phone. I call back to the hospital. She says oh, we got a big problem because we got a, a, an internist and a surgeon getting ready to go to bl- come to blows in the ICU over the treatment of a patient. It was a trauma patient. The int- and she said. The internist wants to put this and this and this in and, and stabilize them here on a ventilator. The, the surgeon wants them to go to surgery now to try to stabilize the fractures and what they've got. And this, the internist is the chief of medicine, and the surgeon is the chief of surgery, and the only one that can solve it is the chief of staff, and that's you. And I thought to myself, you got to be kidding me. What have I gotten myself in? But, so I had to talk to both of them on the phone. Here I am in the locker room at, in San Diego. That is crazy. And and so then the, I got we finished the game, and I got in the car and red-eyed back to Florida. But it, it got resolved, and we got it done. But those are the kind of things. Lot, see, what I would do is ESPN started Thursday night primetime football uh, back then. They thought, well, maybe this college football thing on Thursday night will work. So they started it. So I was a, I was on the first crew there. It was me and Mike Patrick and, and Mike Godfrey and me and – and then it was me and, uh, 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 let's see here, Brad Nestler and Gary mm. Angelson, and then me and Ron. And, and, the, and then the last, and in the 90s, it was me and, and uh, Mike Tarico, Kirk Herbstreet, Lee Corso. And then they moved me into the booth to do play by play. But I would do, I would leave Tuesday and I would go to wherever the Thursday night game was, do the Thursday night game, red eye, either to the, for, to Friday morning, I was a host qualifying. Friday and then Saturday race and Sunday race and come home. Or if we didn't have a race that weekend, I'd do a Saturday game. So I'd be gone from Tuesday to Sunday and be home Monday to change clothes and dry cleaning and do some paperwork and talk to the people in the ER and leave again on Tuesday. So my wife really was the saint. She took ah, the family yeah. and the kids. Joni, she, you know, basically our kids, everything that happened without her support, I could never have done any of that. Uh, and, but you know, toward the end of the year, you're just, when you're gone that many days and you're living on airplanes, and hotels. It's tough. It's tough. You don't know where you are. I mean, you're looking. Mm-hmm. You got media guys stacked up on both sides side of you, sitting in a hotel room trying to read, and you're, you're you know, 
with highlighters at two o'clock in the morning and sitting there in the floor with pots of coffee around you. But it, it is what it is. So ER physician, um, obviously you dealt with a lot of trauma. Um, so when was the first time you were on assignment at a NASCAR track and had an emergency situation where you had, you just had no choice but to rush in with, with the medical, uh, your, your trauma experience? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it, it, it happened, uh, the trauma part didn't happen as often as the the drivers because we had a we had a relationship friendship and there was a trust factor yeah you knew all these guys yeah yeah i knew this they were friends a lot of them i'd grown up some of them i'd like dale i'd raced with when i was a kid and i knew them personally and and they'd come to me and ask me a question about hey i went to this doctor in in town he put me and a lot of these doc a lot of these drivers didn't want to go to doctors because uh, that much because they of their celebrity status they didn't want some doctor releasing that they're on this blood pressure medicine or this medicine or whatever so uh, they would come to me and say, Hey, what can I take? I'm in the car. You know, I'm in the car five hours. It's 130 degrees in there. I'm, I get dehydrated. Is this going to impact me? So, oh yeah, you can't take that. Well, well, hold up, hold up. And so, um, so I was doing a lot of that as a consultant and they knew that even though I was on ESPN or I was on ABC, that everything we talked about was, uh, was professional confidence. None of this stuff. I never used any of that stuff on the air, even though I could. I asked drivers sometimes, Hey, so and so I knew the answer, but they knew that. They could give, they could answer whatever. And the same thing with football. I had a lot of, a lot of team physicians who were friends of mine uh, in college football. You that, always respected those. Well, it, the, yeah, and, and like boundaries. We had an orthopedic surgeon at Georgia Tech and one at the University of Virginia. Um, you know, I went in the locker room uh, several times to help out an orthopedic surgeon. We went in and and uh, I ran in with the guy grabs me coming off the field and I'm standing with the microphone. He's walking in the locker room. He's, hey, you got a minute? I said, Well, yeah, I'm on the. He said, Hey, come on, I need your help. So I'd go in there and we'd put traction on the shoulder and inject the shoulder that was separated for a quarterback. And we'd come back out, come out of commercial, and they'd throw it down to me. And I'm standing with the doctor. I said, Hey, tell me what you, you went in and looked at the shoulder. He said, Well, we put some ice on some ice and we massage it. So then we we both laughing because we know that both he and I were both involved with injecting injecting the joint. But you know to try to, to help a little bit. But that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff they trusted me. Um, but, but at the racetracks, um, and the Rusty Wallace thing is pretty, pretty. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Cause of course he's real popular around here. Of course. Yeah, so talk guy. about, was it 1988? Yeah. Yeah. Rusty, Rusty, uh, it was an afternoon, uh, and, uh, before, uh, what was, what, what would have been the Bush race that night. And the next night was a cup race and there is only two cars out practicing. And I'm standing on pit road doing the interview with another driver, uh, taping an interview for the, for our Bush race that night. I'm just right. I'm, I mean, if you look at the video, I'm, I'm only like 20 feet from where his car comes to rest, but. It's Rusty on the track and Dale Earnhardt on the track, and Rusty's car comes off turn four, uh, and the right front tire back then were bias ply tires. It flexes, <clears throat> and because of the setup they had on the car, because Rusty was really good at Bristol, the tire leaned and flexed, and he, apparently, from what I was told, by the crew chief hit the ball joint, sliced the tire open, the car tire tire blows, he hits the wall out of turn four, hits the end of the wall. Back then, it was not a complete ball; it was just part of a, and the car launches like a football spiraling with the nose first in the air and then comes down and begins barrel rolling and comes to rest propped up on uh with the nose of it propped up on the pit wall and there's steam and smoke everywhere and yeah, just to reiterate this was at bristol at bristol yeah so you can imagine yeah and you think well how can a car get it looked like somebody had punted this this pontiac in the air and, and we're at bristol so uh, I run, you know, I'm, I'm closest to it. I run out there and realize the hood, the, the, the top is pushed down. Rusty's not breathing. Um, primarily because the, the roof of the car had been pushed down and his head helmet 
was down and the airway was obstructed and the fact that Rusty had just inhaled a, a ham sandwich prior to going out to practice, which you never do. You never eat prior to getting in the car, and everybody told him that. But Rusty was in a hurry. Rusty's the kind of guy that does a lot of things, and, you know, he packs a lot into every minute, and that he still does, you know, with all his stuff he does with his with his uh, radio broadcasts and his, and his dealerships. But um, so and when he did the tumbling part of the sandwich, I guess, blocked his airway. Well, he wasn't breathing, so he was in respiratory arrest. So I'm, we're trying to get to him. It can't get to him because the window net was buckled and the, and the bars were pushed down. And I could only get a few fingers. He had an open face helmet, thankfully. And I was able to get to the bottom of his jaw and just pull it forward enough. And I'm screaming, you got to get this roof off so I can get to him. And Dale Earnhardt's the only car on the track. He stops and runs over and he's standing on the hood screaming, you know, what, what can we do? I said, you got, I got to get to him. I said, I mean, Dale, I got to get to him. So they're, they're sawing the roof off. And he's still not breathing. Well, or maybe just struggling to yeah, breathe. He str- and with my fingers on his airway, he started, I saw his chest began to move. He had blood out of both sides of his mouth. And so I wasn't sure if it was trauma related. I had no idea he had an obstruction, which, which with my moving the airway forward was going to relieve that. And so he was going to be, if we could continue that, we were going to be fine. But I didn't know that. I didn't right. know if it was a trauma. So, cause I couldn't see him. His head was pushed down. So we were able to get, they held a, 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 a hat in front of my face. Um, and while they were sawing the car, cause I couldn't let go of his, of his airway. And so they got, they got the car and got the gate and got the net down. I could get to him and he started breathing. We got him out and got him in an ambulance. Um, and then, uh, a couple hours later, Rusty calls back from the hospital to the track. They patch him through to the TV truck. He says, tell doc, tell Jerry, I'm, I'm hello. I'm going to be okay. Thank you. And then like an hour later, we're getting ready to start the, the bush race and I'm standing on pit road. The cars are lined up. Here comes Dale Earnhardt walking down pit road. And he walks right up to me, like two inches from my nose. He walks up to me and says, Hey, do you hear Rusty's going to be okay? And I said, Yeah, Dale, I did. I, he called back and said he's going to be, going to be okay. And he looks at me and he says, Hey, do you realize you probably saved Rusty Wallace's life today? He says, and he looks at me, he pauses and says, Why would you do that? Why would, why would anybody do that? Because, you know, he and Rusty were battling for a championship, even though they were buddies. He was joking, of course. Yeah, of course. Well, that's, that's very interesting. And, and, and I, I want to talk a little bit about Dale Earnhardt and your relationship there when we come back. Also, what is, what is going on with the, this latter phase of Dr. Jerry Punch's career? Uh, because it's pretty fascinating what he's doing in medical research. So stay with us. We'll also have our dollars and cents segment. Our income tax rates are going up at the end of next year. Should you be considering Roth conversion? Stay with us. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in this week. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Check us out online, BroganFinancial.com. I mentioned my next class, Thrive Financially in Retirement through Pellissippi State, is uh, the end of this month, Tuesday, February 27th, and March 5th, two two-hour sessions. Go to PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com for more information. We've been visiting with Dr. Jerry Punch in the unusual world of NASCAR and emergency room medicine uh, colliding, and... Dr. Punch, let's talk about your phase of life now. First off, what brought you to Knoxville? Well, my wife's family lives here. They, uh, she's originally from Iowa, and uh, her dad uh, was uh, running, a, helping run a, a BF Goodrich uh, tire plant in Iowa, and then they shut that down. And he got a, he interviewed and got a chance to come work for a company just north of uh, Knoxville, uh, right across the Kentucky line. So they uh, that was building uh, outdoor ventures. They're building tents and 
and uh, and recreational equipment, flotation devices, et cetera. And that company began evolving and, and building more and more things. And now they build a lot of stuff for the government, uh, you know, military tents. And there's lots of train tracks up there through those mountain areas. And it was a very underserved area when employment was low. Anyway, long story short, uh, he went to work here. My wife finished in Iowa. Uh, finished high school in Iowa, came to East Tennessee State. So her whole family moved here. Her brother went to law school at University of Tennessee and now is a lawyer here in town with Lewis Thomason. So their whole family is connected here. Uh, and she said, if you, as she told me, she said, if we ever lose, and I was living in Charlotte, she said, if we ever lose NASCAR, well, you don't have to be here to do shows at ESPN Regional two nights a week and then be around the NASCAR group. Let's move to Tennessee because we have small children and my family's there. My mom and dad were in ill health and my mom was, you know, was really, uh, not able to do much and she said we have two small children and and uh and we could my family would love to see them play soccer and football et cetera. so the day we lost nascar i was on a plane to speak in hershey pennsylvania i landed up there my cell phone rang and joni said uh she said hey uh or just came down one of the vps at espn called our house and said we've just lost a nascar contract and she said guess where we're moving <laughs> so very presumptive very presumptive yeah so we, anyway we moved here and i love it I, I i came here kicking and screaming and now i would have a hard time leaving so we love living here we've been here since 2002 um actually 2001 we just moved here um that year uh and so we love it uh her family's here our kids grew up here uh so uh it, it, it's a it's like home. Even it's a beautiful the area. Yeah. Carolinas, yeah. So tell us about the Alliance for Multi-Specialty Research. Okay. Well, what happened was is uh, 33, 34 years at ESPN, uh, got, I didn't, I, I passed on the ER situation in the late nineties to, to an associate I had because I couldn't be around as much. I was wide open, you know, doing football and basketball, et cetera. So then, um, you know, a few years ago, 2018, 2019, ESPN said, came to a bunch of us that were, you know, were, were pushing retirement age and said, Hey, you know, we love having you here, but th- this schedule, um, so we, 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 you know, myself and Mike Patrick and Chris Berman, a lot of us that were been around ESPN for a long time as, as the chairman of the, of the board of ESPN said, you guys got us in the room, said you guys built this place, which was nice of them to say. But, uh, so when I said, what am I going to do? And I had a, you know, I had a, a friend, um, uh, in town that I got to know a doctor, Bill Smith, who is a, uh, incredibly brilliant physician. Uh, he's, he's boarded in four different specialties from Vanderbilt. Um, and he had a research company that he had been running out of New Orleans. Katrina hits. He moves the research company here to salvage what's left of it. And then he begins expanding. And then these, these clinical trial companies around the U.S. decided with his leadership, hey, let's get together and band together to one big group so we can service these large pharmaceutical companies and do research on, on the latest and greatest drugs and treatments and vaccines, et cetera. Uh, we had been friends. We had dinner one night and he talked about, Hey, would you be interested in coming and work with us some? And, and, uh, some turned into uh, me being there on a regular basis. He has, he, there's 32 locations around the U S he's the CEO of the company. Uh, we have two sites here, one at UT medical center where there are 60 beds, uh, for inpatient treatment and, and research phase one, we call it. And there's an outpatient facility in Wise Garber, Dr. Smith, uh, but what suddenly COVID hits and now we're doing, we're doing research for and rushing as hard as we can to get four vaccines to the FDA uh, from four different companies. And now we've been doing quadrivalent flu vaccines, RSV, uh, smoking cessation studies. We have ALS, uh, research ongoing where we do, we've, there's some interesting things happen there. Alzheimer's research, uh, with probably 30 or 40 studies at a time going on. 
and I am uh, and, and working with Dr. Smith, and it's just different. It's it's I still see patients every day. We have, we have wonderful nursing staff and support staff, uh, but I I'm not running around from bed to bed in the ER with gunshots and stab wounds and trauma uh, like I was before. I still get to be a part of the, of the medical community. And ESPN had told me the first year that I did this, they said, you know, could we have you just be part time and come do, you know, out, you know, once, uh, once at one or two games. I said, sure, I'll still travel. I ended up doing eight games that year plus two bowl games. I said, you know, this is not part time. This is back, back doing full time. But Dr. Smith was always so kind. Bill said, look, anytime you get a chance to go to a ball game or a race, I need you to go do something or, or go do a speaking engagement, you go. He said, but you know, that's our deal. So uh, I've done that. I've, I've gone to do some, um, some one on one. Thanks for NASCAR, for IndyCar, uh, for 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 ESPN, for college sports, and a few other things here and there. So uh, it's nice. It's nice, nice way for me to slow down and still be able to be involved in medicine and and sports. And in 2020, you and your daughter Jesse made broadcasting a family affair with your podcast series, Rolling with the Punches. Yeah, that was her idea, Rolling with the Punches, uh, and she actually did her first. We still do it, and uh, she did her first episode, which which uh, which came out yesterday. It's on. Uh, uh, several different platforms that uh, with with but she did it from uh, did it from L.A. She's uh, out in Los Angeles. This is NASCAR's kickoff weekend, and she's out. She works for NASCAR. She's out there as a talent, as a broadcaster, and she hosted the red carpet last night out in L.A. for uh, the uh, National Diversity Awards. So, uh, and then she's going to be there this weekend for uh, the uh, uh, the uh, uh, I guess exhibition race at at the Coliseum. But she does rolling with the punches where she goes back and tells stories individual stories with drivers and sort of tries to follow she's one she's much better than i've ever thought about being quite honestly uh but she's really good at sitting down with people and they trust her and they and she's a good listener and they tell their story and, and her first episode was about a driver who uh, got his big break and um and it is really that's it's, great it's chilly and he got his big break and suddenly he's in the holler changing clothes and he collapses and has a has a brain hemorrhage um and his whole world came wow. crashing down and so he finally t- decided to tell her that story, and it's on her first episode. We uh, must be awfully proud having become a family affair in uh, broadcasting and in NASCAR. Yeah, we're, we're thrilled. Dr. Jerry Punch, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us this morning. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, this was great. It's always great listening to you. It's such a pleasure to meet you in the fall, and it's great to hear your stories. Uh, what an interesting life. Doing great work over there at the uh, Alliance for Multispecialty Research. Thanks for tuning in this week. Thank you to Jennifer for engineering the show. Thank you to Jill for helping produce the show. You've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Have a very blessed weekend.